It is time for midday. It's 1130 here at KRVN on a Tuesday, sixth day of April. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Uh, glad to be a part of your day overall. We have a busy day ahead of us. Jason Jorgensen will join us here in just a minute. He'll recap, obviously, what was kind of a dud in terms of college men's basketball national championship game. That's coming up in just a minute. Bob Rogan will tell us how stocks are performing here on this Tuesday. And, of course, we'll hear from uh, our own Paul Perkins about potential severe weather coming up later today. But let's uh, turn things over to our own Susan Littlefield. And, Susan, how are you doing today? Not too bad. It's a little windy, and we've had a few thunder showers move through. Mm. Nothing like what they had over at Innovation Campus. But we know that things, uh, Paul's weather forecast is going to be pretty good, I think, this afternoon. That was early this morning. You guys had some of that severe weather. Is that right? Yeah, we did. It went through, but more thunder and, and wind than anything else. Mm. But it sounds like more is headed our way. Well, we'll take the precipitation. That's that's for sure. So, But what do you have for us uh, coming up on midday? Well, we'll take it off all here at 1219. The 93rd Nebraska SFA convention kicks off this week. And like last year, it will be virtual again this year. We're going to be celebrating this. Bryce Duskett will be bringing everything in at 1219 as he speaks with the SFA state president. Then at 1245, we're going to talk about a topic cattlemen might not want to talk about, and that's flies. We're going to talk about fly treatment to keep your cattle while they're grazing on pasture a lot safer and a lot healthier. And then at 117, Alex will speak with Deb Hedden. She's from COZAD. She's today's Women in Agricultural Future. We'll find out how not growing up in agriculture, she's transitioned into that world. So that's the midday from the farm team. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen and sports and uh, the uh, college men's national championship last night. Not as good as what we saw this past weekend, but you and I discussed we kind of expected that. Yeah, uh, of course, I thought Baylor would probably win a game. I was surprised that all three of the analysts on CBS were all in for Gonzaga. I mean, I respect those guys' opinions. They knew more about basketball than I do, but it's like, have you not looked at Baylor and Mm -hmm. see what the size of those guys were? They were too big, too strong, too fast, and too good for Gonzaga last night. Dominated early. They set the tone, and Gonzaga could never bounce back. So congratulations to the Bears. First national championship ever, right? That's what they say for the men. Right. For right, the right, women. Right, right. Now you have know, to keep things equal. I, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> they got theirs already. They did a while back. So big win for uh, Baylor. Also, would tell you about a new assistant coach hmm. uh, for the Nebraska men's basketball program as Coach uh, Fred Hoiberg is shuffling things around and duties around a little bit. So some news there. KU also has named the. Uh, New AD, so a lot to get to in sports. And we'll hear from UNK football coach Josh Lynn about what the Lopers are up to later on this month with the uh, shared practice and scrimmage with Wayne State. All right, we look forward to it. We'll hear that again at uh, about 1225. Let's turn things over to Bob Brogan. How are stocks performing? Wobbling between small gains and losses in trading this morning. Um, also, in the, its latest forecast, the International Monetary Fund says the rollout of COVID-19 vaccines will accelerate global economic growth. And uh, United Airlines says it will will train 5,000 pilots at its academy in this decade. And if they've played a lot of video games, I'm sure we have nothing to worry about. It's time for regional ag weather update. Paul Perkins back in the studio. And 
Well, Paul, before we get to what happens today and later on tonight, uh, did we break any records yesterday in terms of temps? No, we were just shy of a lot of locations uh, fell short of making it into the upper 80s. A lot of us only had highs yesterday into the low to mid 80s, so not as summer-like as they were anticipating. I'll tell you what, it was still beautiful out. <laughs> yes. You know, Some of those winds, a little gusty here or there. We could get rid of those winds. Yeah, yesterday wasn't too bad for the winds, but today definitely those winds starting to pick up thanks to a strong area of low pressure moving through, and we're going to see plenty of wind on the back side of the system for tomorrow. Tomorrow looking to be kind of a raw day. Temperatures cooling into the 50s and some strong northwest winds gusting up to 40 to 50 tomorrow. And the main focus later today and into tonight is potential severe weather. And right now we do see that severe weather threat expanded to the north. Earlier it was just over southeast Nebraska, basically to the southeast of Hastings on into eastern Kansas. Now that severe weather potential is along and east of Highway 281 in Nebraska, basically the eastern third of Nebraska from about Neely to Albion, Grand Island, Hastings, and points to the east. And in Kansas, that severe risk, the higher severe risk from about Smith Center and points to the south and east. That's where the Storm Prediction Center is now put that area in a slight risk of severe storms. We could see some severe storms further west of that, but that main threat, once again, in eastern Nebraska and Kansas. Are we thinking hail? I mean, are they talking about any potential tornadoes? I mean, obviously this can develop at any time, but what's the main threat? Isolated tornadoes are possible, but we could see some large hail and definitely some damaging winds since this is a fairly strong system, and uh, those winds are really going to be gusty for today through tomorrow. Okay. Well, right now, if you're in central and eastern (laughs) regions of our listening area, you're seeing actually not bad temperatures, 60s and now 70s. Yeah, upper 60s to low 70s where we're seeing quite a bit of sunshine across the eastern third of Nebraska into southwest Nebraska and much of west and central Kansas. Still some cloud cover thanks to some light rain moving into western Iowa and still into northeast Kansas. But as Tyler mentioned, uh, not as nice as you go to the west. Temperatures right now in the upper 30s to low 40s in the Nebraska Panhandle. We do have temperatures more so in the 50s from Broken Bow down to North Platte and Imperial and also some 40s to low 50s on into northeast Colorado. But let's get most of central and east Nebraska into northern Kansas in the upper 60s to the low 70s. Those winds picking up out of the south and also cloud cover encroaching from the east or from the west right now. Already some light rain starting to pop up into northwestern areas of Nebraska towards Harrison and Gordon. Thunderstorm chances increase today with that area of low pressure and cold front tracking east. Most likely period of rain and thunderstorms late today through the evening. Some storms could go severe, especially eastern areas of Nebraska and Kansas where there is a slight risk of severe storms from the Storm Prediction Center. Main threats including large hail and damaging winds, possibly an isolated tornado. Rain chances decrease from west to east during the overnight. Wraparound rain remains possible in the central and east tomorrow on the backside of the low. Rainfall totals not going to be too great with this system, likely to range from a tenth to a half inch. Wind gusts to 40 to 50, likely for today through tomorrow. They'll be out of the south today, but out of the north and northwest for tomorrow. Daytime highs today. 10 to 15 degrees above average for most of us, but those temperatures dropping to 10 degrees cooler than normal for tomorrow. A couple of quick-moving systems bringing in some slight chances of rain for Friday and again Sunday night through Monday. Could see some flakes of snow mix in for Sunday night and Monday. Daytime highs seasonal to slightly warmer than usual for Thursday into Monday. 
In our long-term forecast, seasonal to slightly cooler than normal temperatures likely for Sunday through April 19th in both Nebraska and Kansas. Nebraska will be mainly dry with below normal rainfall the entire period of Sunday through the 19th. Kansas starts out with slightly above normal rainfall the early half of next week before the Kansas rainfall trends near normal to slightly below normal for late next week through April 19th. Key weather factors influencing the markets include widespread rain forecast for the Midwest and a mixed rainfall across Brazil, a developing storm over the midsection of the U.S., drifting to the east, reaching the western corner about by Thursday. Towards the end of the week, storminess should move into the southern and eastern U.S. Five-day rain totals could reach one to three inches in the upper Midwest and across parts of the south. The rain may also be accompanied by some severe thunderstorms, mostly dry weather the next five days in Montana and North Dakota, as well as a broad area from California to the southern plains. In the Midwest, periods of moderate rain the next seven days should increase soil moisture for drier areas. For the northern plains, precipitation continues to bypass the driest areas. Moderate rain is predicted for South Dakota and eastern North Dakota, but not for hard-hit drought areas farther to the west. In western areas of the southern plains, a lack of rain is stressed to developing winter wheat. Brazil's rain pattern is mixed. Central areas forecast to see frequent showers that favor second crop corn. Very little rain continues over south Brazil in a reversal from last week. I don't like hearing the word snow still in that <laughs> forecast, but I get it. We're, it's it's still early April. Yeah, it shouldn't be anything to worry about. But, yeah, the morning hours probably will be my okay. Monday if it's still doing some precipitation. And just a minor system, nothing that's going to be too organized as we head towards Sunday into Monday. So just remind everybody, uh, what kind of time frame we're looking at for this severe weather? If you're... Grand Island East, basically. Yeah, um, mainly late today into this evening as this area of low pressure starts to develop. It's already tapping into some moisture and it's warming up, so it is getting a lot more unstable. Mm. And once again, that main severe threat, eastern areas of Nebraska and Kansas, basically from Grand Island and points to the east in Nebraska and from Smith Center and points to the southeast in Kansas. Okay, all right. And for a full weather forecast for tonight and in the future, where can you find that at? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you. Bryce Duskin on the Rural Radio Network, and today we're joined with the Nebraska FFA State President, Madison Strackey. She hails from the Stewart FFA chapter. And Madison, this is uh, the big week, the 93rd Nebraska FFA State Convention. A lot of prep work and a lot of excitement for this week, right? Yeah, absolutely. So our team's been working hard to get ready to prepare um, and bring really something memorable for each of the students here in Nebraska this week. Well, let's face it, uh, nothing about the past year has been normal, and this is not a normal convention year by any means, but you're doing your best, and you're, you're able to uh, still celebrate student success in a, in a digital format. Tell me about what this year's convention will look like. Yeah, so this year's convention, uh, they, there's been competitions taking place, uh, actually starting March 22nd, uh, some of those uh, prelims began uh, for career development events and leadership development events. So those are underway, and then here this week we will get to announce those winners, recognize, and find out who will uh, represent Nebraska at the National FFA Convention here in October. And you're uh, getting ready, ready as you and I visit uh, to do your, your uh, sessions, kind of a, a live stream of them. Talk about what that'll look like, not in Pinnacle Bank Arena necessarily, but you are uh, still having those sessions. Yeah, so we are excited to go to a studio and, you know, uh, announce those winners there and recognize sponsors, students. Um, but yeah, we'll be in a, a studio being uh, presenting results live. So we are excited for that. Uh, like 
Bryce just said, it'll be virtual. Uh, you can connect there on neaged.org. Neaged is what it stands for. But um, yeah, you can connect. Just there's a Zoom link right there, and everyone will be able to watch. Well, still some exciting things to reflect on over the past year and celebrate that that uh, student success. Let's look back on your year as Nebraska FFA State President. What's it been like? What have been some of your experiences uh, serving in the middle of a pandemic? <laughs> well, you know, there's definitely, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, there's definitely been some challenges and difficulties for sure. You know, we all wanted that in-person convention, but we're uh, handed a different set of cards. So we are just doing the best with what we have. And really this year has just been, you know, taking every opportunity you're given well we each and each and every one of us learned that you know we just can't take things for granted um you know my junior year convention uh, ffa convention uh that was my last in-person convention so as i reflect back on that you know i really wish i didn't take it for granted and i really uh moving forward there's a lot of life lessons that came out of serving as uh, a state officer through this difficult time the end of uh, the convention will signal the end of your year serving as state FFA president. You mentioned there's been a lot of challenges over the past year, but what's one of the biggest uh, positive takeaways you'll have walking away from this experience? Absolutely. Definitely just the connections and the lessons that I have been given. You know, anyone, anywhere from being able to meet incredible sponsors or, you know, just even our advisors, life advice that we get to uh, take each and every day we meet with them. Uh, just those things that will always hold a special place in my heart and that I can always utilize for my future career or um, down the road. So, And I also always will have this little, uh, I shouldn't say in, but in with FFA, and I will, won't ever have to leave the organization that I love so much. So I'm extremely excited to continue to work with FFA as the years come, wherever that may, whatever that may look like. Madison Strackey joining us. She is the 2020 and 2021 Nebraska FFA State President. Again, for uh, continued coverage of the Nebraska FFA Convention this week, tune in to neaged.org. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting on the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Jason Jordan has stepped back in and, well, has tucked some college hoops, an interesting addition for Nebraska men's basketball. Yeah, head coach Fred Hoiberg has announced the hiring of former Bulls assistant Nate Lesnar to the Husker coaching staff. Of course, those two are familiar with one another. Hoiberg worked with Lesnar at Iowa State and with the Bulls. Now, in order to make room for him on the staff, Nebraska has now moved Doc Sadler into the special assistant to the head coach role previously held by Bobby Lute. So there's a little bit of movement there in Fred Hoiberg's staff. I think from the programs we've seen that have succeeded, it helps to have your guys with you. I don't know if he's the, the secret sauce that they need to take to that next level, but he's helped some big-time NBA guys like Zach Levine I mean, improve their game to where they're at now. So apparently he can develop players. Yeah, it sounds like he's more of a player development guy, and they certainly need that. Mm-hmm. As of yesterday morning, Nebraska sold just under 24,000 tickets to the Red-White Spring Game. Now, capacity at this point is set for 43,000. 
course, there's a few things different this year. There will be no free tickets for kids, and season ticket holders were limited to just four total tickets rather than the eight-plus they could purchase in the past. Spring practice continues for the Huskers, and quarterback Adrian Martinez talks about some of the things he tried to focus on this offseason. An effort, you know, a, a focused effort on doing those things. You know, I wanted to focus on that this offseason. One of the things, leaning out a little bit, getting faster, continuing to improve my arm strength and, and throwing the football. And we really put some time in uh, heading into spring ball, and I feel good about that. One thing for Martinez is that he was healthy this offseason. He wasn't trying to get over an injury, although we've heard all this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Show me in the fall. Mm-hmm. All right. Right, right. UNK will travel a longtime rival Wayne State for a controlled scrimmage and joint practice on Saturday, April 17th. Coach Josh Lynn talks about how this idea came about. The NCAA is letting us do some, you know, some competition practices or games if you actually want to play games. We felt it was in best interest to kind of take this and use it as a uh, co-practice. You know, it's an, it's an easy drive or an easier drive, I should say, for, you know, it's a day trip and it's an in-state school. And uh, me and Coach McMinnon down at Wayne State thought it'd be a good opportunity to get a, get the two in-state schools teams together and, and get each each other better as it pertains to maybe a joint practice. Now that workout on the 17th in Wayne will start at 2. That will be open to the public, and that will conclude UNK's spring practice schedule. be nice if the NCAA allows them to continue to do that in the future. I mean, why not? Play a spring oh. game here or there, or a practice, or scrimmage. Why not? It makes makes a lot of sense at a lot of different levels. And um, I don't know how long it'll last, but the Kansas City Royals <laughs> set first place the AL Central after Whit Merrifield, who's been lava hot, mm-hmm. hit another home run, drove in three. The Royals beat Cleveland three nothing. What's their record, by the way? Three and one. Three and one. Who they got now? Uh, day off today, and then they play Cleveland again. Okay. And I think later on in the week, then they take on the White Sox. So, so they'll be tested. All right, oh, very good. Yes. Uh, All star game sounds like moving to Colorado as well. Thank you. It's time for Midday News. Dave Schroeder has stepped in, and of course, our main topic is COVID and trying to get uh, people vaccinated or allow people the opportunity to get vaccinated here in Nebraska. Absolutely, but the uh, underlying message is from the state of Nebraska, get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. So, But they want to try to make sure we get that message out to all segments of our state. And state health officials are making a concerted effort to reach the state's minority populations, especially among the Hispanic population, which has seen a disproportionate impact. Josie Rodriguez, a DHHS administrator for health disparities and health equities, noted that many frontline workers have been impacted with Hispanics facing twice the rate of inspected of expected infection and more than two times greater the risk of death. During the governor's pandemic update yesterday, Rodriguez says her own family has had a personal experience with the virus. We had a scare recently with uh, COVID because um, it, it kind of hit home um, with somebody getting it, and it was very scary to see that. And so I've seen the impacts it's had on our community. So I think it's very important that we share this message and really urge people to get vaccinated. DHHS has been conducting specialized outreach efforts, including Spanish language advertisements, online town halls to encourage vaccination. Rodriguez encouraged members of the Nebraska Hispanic communities who may be hesitant to take the vaccination to ask questions, take part in the town halls, and learn as much as they can before making a decision. 
There's a drawing this spring that will provide 150 young Nebraskans a chance to purchase a youth lifetime permit at half price. It's an effort to encourage young Nebraskans to participate in hunting and fishing in the Nebraska Game and Parks Foundation, establishing its youth lifetime half price permit program. The program gives residents ages 15 and younger the opportunity to purchase a lifetime hunt, fish, and other permits and stamps for half price. To register for the youth lifetime half price permit drawing, visit OutdoorNebraska.org. At the Central Nebraska Public Power and Irrigation District meeting on Monday, Irrigation Water Services Manager Scott Dickey reported that the irrigation system will be filling on April 15th in preparation for the upcoming irrigation season. Intentional groundwater recharge was conducted along the Phelps Canal earlier this spring. Civil engineer engineer Tyler Thulin reported that Lake McConaughey's elevation was at 74% of capacity, and inflows have averaged around 925 cubic feet per second, with releases at around 750 cubic feet per second. And that's a check of the latest in news. I'm Dave Schroeder. Before you know it, flies are going to be an issue. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Probably not the best lunchtime conversation, but one that needs to happen. With another grazing season upon us, cattle producers will be lining out their herd fly approach right about now. Fly resistance to common livestock insecticides is an escalating problem, so producers need to make decisions with that in mind. That, according to a Kansas State University entomologist, Cassandra Olds says that using different kinds of fly insecticide products year by year has become essential. One of the big things with pesticides is rotation. When you go to the store and there's all these pesticides on the shelf, we tend to use the thing that we've always used. And that's one of the big mistakes that we do is we use the thing that we've always used. So you want to rotate products, but not just the product, it's the class of product. You want to rotate between your pyrethroids, your organophosphates, and your macrocyclic lactones. So it used to be that we said do a 2-1-2-1-2-1 rotation. It's actually now we're, we're saying that doesn't actually help. The, the amount of time that, for example, if you're using pyrethroids for two years, it's too long. So now what we're actually suggesting is that you use an annual rotation between a pyrethroid, an organophosphate, and macrocyclic lactone. So there's two years gap for any one kind of product. And that, she says, calls on the producer to carefully select a product in keeping with this every year chemical rotation. Old says that there are plenty of resources to help out. A good way to do this, because when you're in the store, you know, they list these chemicals with these long names and how are you supposed to know what it actually is. So if you just take that long name that's on the bottle and you type it into Google and you say pesticide class, it will give you a number. And so you want to rotate between numbers. So, for example, pyrethroids, it's a group 3A. Organophosphates is a group 1B. Macrocyclic lactones is a group 6. So that's the number that you want to focus on, rotating through that group. It doesn't matter if you're using, for example, ultraboss and permectrin. Those are both pyrethroids. So make sure you're rotating the group of parasiticide and not the brand of parasiticide. And if the fly pressure remains intense, indicating that resistance is in play, producers need to go to another direction right away.
If you get resistance to any of them, stop using them immediately and give at least two years before you use it again. So then you could bounce between the other two. But unfortunately, the downside to that is then they're on a biannual rotation instead of being every three years. And so making sure that you're making good decisions and trying to limit those negative consequences. Insecticidal ear tags are a fly control method of choice for many grazing cattle managers because of the simplicity. And Cassandra Olds offers this input on insecticide ear tag management, commenting on the durability of the product. Ear tags, we like ear tags for horn fly control. They say that they'll give you delivery of product for up to five months. But realistically, I, I use the example of a Sharpie. When you get a brand new Sharpie out of its pack, it writes really nice and darkly, but the longer you use it, it starts to fade. So think of your, your tags the same way. Your tags, even though they can last for that amount of period of time, the amount of pesticide that they're delivering is lower. And one of the big, big, big selecting factors for resistance is underdosing. What you're doing is you're giving the insect exposure to sublethal doses. So what you're really doing is on a silver platter, you're handing it resistance. You're saying, here's a little taste of it. It's not enough to kill you, but it's enough for you to develop those genetic resistance traits. So then it should come as no surprise. The timing of product administration becomes highly important. Deploy your tags when they're going to be most effective. So with horn flyers, we say that your injury level is about 200 flies per animal. Don't pl- apply tags before then because you're just you're using your, your dark sharpie time at a time when it's not benefiting you in terms of production. Fewer than 200 flies isn't going to hurt you production-wise. More than 200 flies is. So wait till your flies cross over that limit before you're applying tags and then also remove them at the end of the season because you don't want half the chemical being around. And it does come back to that problem with underdosing the insecticide as a main contributor to resistance. Old says, again, putting the emphasis on tag program management. If you're using tags for horn fly control, tag both ears. Um, because even though you might, you know, it might be labeled, it might get, give you adequate control with one tag, you're only going to get half of your animal exposed to it because what they do is the movement of the head rubs the product on the body. So if you only have one ear tagged, you're only mo- putting it on half the animal. So that again comes down to making sure your product is applied properly. And I've had reports of people who have said, oh, this, this product isn't working anymore. But when you take a look at it, they're actually underdosing their animals or some animals aren't getting it all. So dosage is really important. So having a way to monitor dosage. Again, those comments are coming from K-State veterinary entomologist Cassandra Olds. Again, she is urging producers to employ those properly grazing seasons with the ear tags in the case of fighting the buildup of insects in the fly population. Rotating the chemistry of the different ear tag types is a critical management step as well. Again, K-State's veterinary entomologist, Cassandra Olds. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Hi, this is Gordon Deal. Wednesday on This Morning, America's First News. The latest on the Derek Chauvin trial, plus the compromised Florida reservoir. Also, there's a country looming in the background of President Biden's infrastructure proposal, and it's China. We'll explain how. In addition, where Americans think it's better to invest than the stock market, and getting rid of mysterious clutter to free up phone space. Wednesday on This Morning, America's First News. 
Hey, listen up, rodeo fans across the territory. Turn up 880 Friday evening between 5 and 6 bells for KRVN this evening for the TRU Top 5 Countdown. Monty James here with weekly rodeo news, standings, and shenanigans presented by V-Bar Trailer Sales, Broken Bow, Nebraska. With Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks have been wobbling between small gains and losses in morning trading as investors shift to a more cautious mood a day after the market reached its most recent record high. Technology stocks were the biggest drag in a reversal from a day earlier. The S&P 500 index rose one-tenth of a percent and was nearly evenly split between gainers and losers. In its latest forecast, the International Monetary Fund says the rollout of COVID-19 vaccines and vast sums of government aid will accelerate global economic growth to a record high this year in a powerful rebound from the pandemic recession. The 190-country lending agency says it expects the world economy to expand 6% for 2021, up from the 5.5% it had forecast in January. It would be the fastest expansion for the global economy in IMF records dating to 1980. A top official at the European Medicines Agency says there's a causal link between the AstraZeneca coronavirus vaccine and rare cases of blood clots. But he says the benefits of getting the vaccine still outweigh the risks. Marco Cavallari, head of health threats and vaccine strategy at the EU regulatory agency, told a Rome newspaper that the agency is preparing to make a more definitive statement this week. United Airlines says it will train 5,000 pilots at its own academy in this decade, and it hopes that half of them will be women or people of color. United says it is now taking applications for the Academy in Arizona, including from people who have no flying experience. United was threatening to furlough pilots and other employees until recently because of the sharp downturn in travel during the pandemic. Now travel is coming back, although it still hasn't returned to 2019 levels. And United plans to hire pilots this year and more in the long run. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. This Women in Agriculture series is brought to you by Tyson. Deb Peden of Cozad, Nebraska, works on River Rock Farms with her husband. But from a farm, Deb is not. No, not at all. Um, there's, In fact, there's a funny saying that I've read in the past. I was not born on a farm, but I got here as fast as I could. Because, yeah, I went and visited a family farm. But other than that, I had no relationship with any farm. Her experience on a farm got started when she met her husband. I married my husband in 1983, and he was a fifth-generation farmer at the time, and I had various jobs. I took a job at a bank in Cozad for a few years, and when the opportunity came to come home and work on the farm, I decided to join the ag business here at um, River Rock Farms with my husband. And she said the transition to working full-time on the farm was all about learning. You know, I really grasped the opportunity and um, every aspect of it, it was a slow, steady learning process and my husband's very patient. He taught me everything that I've learned from running equipment. Um, I took some classes to get involved in the book work of our business and just pretty much as many aspects as I could without going into marketing, etc. But yeah, I really embraced it and I really love it. Deb started when there were five generations of farmers, and now there are six generations. 
Well, my husband, there is six-generation farmers, and so, yeah, his great-great-granddad, his great-granddad, his granddad, his dad, him, and our son are all involved in farming. And so it's just been in the family for years and years, and it's just something that is in your blood, and I'm grateful that I am able to be a part of it and work my husband. And she said in that time, she's seen a lot of changes in the ag industry. Oh, my gosh. Probably the biggest change is um, technology running. You know, I run a 16-year planner, and I we help get the fields ready. I do book work. You know, you can't survive, or I don't believe, without having knowledge of computer and your QuickBooks files, et cetera. But I, I, I would say technology is the biggest thing. We just have to keep updated and be aware of what's out there and, you know, change with the times. And along those same lines, she said it's important for future generations to be focused on education. I would encourage um, further generations to, you know, embrace more schooling and see what else is out there. You know, things change constantly. And I think you need to be more aware of the land and the chemicals we use, which I think most all of us are. You know, we respect the land and we respect the people that live in our area. So I would say probably take some more ag classes and, you know, indulge yourself in the Future Farmers of America courses they offer in Cozad and Gothenburg, which I think is an amazing thing that they both embrace the kids that want to get into agriculture. And even though now Deb is highly involved on her family's operation and is no stranger to agriculture, she said one of the biggest lessons she learned was the value of appreciating the agriculture industry. I was a little ignorant over the years about where our food came from. And I think that's something we've taught our kids. You know, you just don't go to the grocery store and boof, there it is. And it's all, it's all a, where it comes, we don't have cattle, but our friends do. And it's all about where the food comes from, how it's grown, how it's processed. I think that's probably the most fascinating part for us is just seeing the end product and to know that it, it helps feed the world. It's, it's just a pretty cool deal. That again is Deb Peden of Cozad, Nebraska, who works on River Rock Farms with her husband. This Women in Agriculture series is brought to you by NCTA. And I'm Alex Pojaski reporting for the World Radio Network. Playpen on the World Radio Network. Let's check in here on the closing grain futures. To do so, we talk with grain analyst and uh, with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. That is John Payne. He does the daily newsletter this week in grain. John, as we see the close come here this afternoon, it looks like soybeans, they dipped off right there before the close, but were able to come back. But overall, just kind of a quiet trade following crop progress yesterday in anticipation of Friday, maybe. Yeah, everything really reversed uh, from what we saw Friday after the USDA report and then into the close uh, yesterday when the back month, which is really led by December, I guess at this point, December and March, took the lead in the board and, and you know rallied. At one point yesterday, we were up like seven cents on December and down three or four on the July, and then that reversed here this morning. So I think that uh, you know probably puts a cap in the, the last report now, and, and we're looking forward to Friday. Don't know if we'll see many fireworks. Demand obviously may be adjusted on the corn side, soybeans. You'll see those grain stocks added. So I think we're probably range bound till then. Um, but watch the bean oil market. That's that's kind of returned to its fury here, and uh, edible oils are, are are maintaining their strength. I think that kind of keeps the market bullish here as we go uh, go into the summer, regardless of what the, the Brazilian crop brings. In terms of macro markets, does Biden administration's two point five trillion dollar infrastructure plan hinder the U.S. dollar, which was making gains last week? Oh, I don't know. I mean, long term, I mean, the the theme is the same. Uh, it's almost like not enough to a certain degree because we're actually seeing the U.S. you know not need it. 
but Brazil, you know, we're going to see Europe continue to, uh, to have to ease the, the, the COVID situation is certainly than what is here. So that's a big problem right now is the U.S. can't grow. Well, it can, but you're going to see U.S. growth and European growth really diverge here. And that's going to put the U.S. or the Europeans at a really, really big disadvantage, which you know, could weaken their currency. So that's where that dollar index you're talking about could strengthen. I'm very disheartened by the Brazilian real. The real has, is the one we really want to see bounce. Uh, to kind of change the ag trends long term, we haven't seen that yet. But um, you know, spending three trillion dollars in a couple of months is certainly a good way to do it. And our final question, John, going out looking through the rest of the week, do you think we can top a million barrels per day in ethanol production tomorrow? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think the the, the demand is there. We saw some softness in the front of the curve, and you know, gasoline prices broke above two dollars today. I think I think we're going to see good things in ethanol here. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zagmarketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. You can sign up and see more about Daniel Zagmarketing at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider the risk before investing. Do you want to listen to John Payne again? Go back, hear what he had to say on any given market day. Check out the podcast at ruralradionetwork.com. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of Midday. You can listen to the Midday Podcast sponsored by Devenny Motors at krvn.com or wherever podcasts are available.